Welcome, everyone, to the CavsCorner.com podcast. CavsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, coming to you live from the palatial Franklin Estates in the west end of Richmond, where it is actually Tuesday, July the 25th, as we record this uh, this evening. We're doing it a day early because with uh, football practice starting on Friday, it made a lot more sense to try not to do a war room from the sidelines of a football practice. So going to run that Thursday, which kind of bumped everything up a day. Um, but we're going to talk, um, as you might <laughs> expect, uh, with, with practice starting on Friday. We're, we're going to start talking about uh, UVA football in, in a more um, urgent way, a more, spe- uh, a more focused way. I'm not really sure how to word that, um, which is weird since I'm the one who publishes the website. Um, but it should be a, a lively conversation and, and certainly one that I'm sure folks are really excited to, to talk to hear because we're going to be talking about last year in a lot of a lot of ways. So, yay. Um, let me go around and introduce everybody. I'm in Fishersville. David Spence is on the show. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, Brad. Thanks for asking. <laughs> who days at who days on Twitter? It's so funny because uh, if you ever don't at, if you ever don't like thank me for asking, people are going to they're, they're going to be like, it's, it's like a thing now. It's like a shtick. It's like your it's like your thing. <laughs> Uh, it's 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 like a bit that you now are locked into forever. Uh, up in Arlington, uh, Justin Ferber is also back on the show. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you very much for asking. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> At Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter. At Cavs Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for in-game updates, content items, and the occasional uh, witty banter. So uh, Virginia hasn't played a football game in a long, long time, and the last time they played a football game, it did not end well. And I think that's a very good way to sort of uh, – uh, encapsulates or frame uh, the discussion we're we're going to be embarking on this evening, because when you go two and ten and you get beat fifty two to ten um, by your rival um, in the season finale in a very, I mean it probably wasn't that close. I mean, there's not a lot of ways to go but up. But in order for them to go up, they got to not do a lot of the things that they did last year. And I think it's important to sort of keep in context what last year was and was not I mean one thing that has been evident is all three of us have kind of looked back at last year not only to refresh our memories but to but to also sort of go through um, the particulars is that in a lot of those games that they lost um, they were in those games and then something would happen and then everything would fall apart Um, and and we're not we're going to go game by game in in a way but we're not going to like rehash everything but in terms of how it impacts this season so one thing that that i want to start with and and something that's been on my mind as as we were sort of doing our research is how after the duke game i remember i remember going into that bowl and that bowl week that that would be nice a bye week right i remember going into bye week and thinking man when's the last time i covered a, a football team that like did something good going into the bye week right they had something like momentum and then they come out for that Pittsburgh game, and it was such an up-and-down sort of deal um, that the one thing I, I really think that they can't, they can't do this season if they want to be successful, it's, it's, the, it's the roller coaster. They gotta, I, as, I've, as, I've, as I've written or edited all of these Countdown to Camp pieces, one thing I find myself either writing or, or, or editing is consistency, consistency, consistency. I, I, I think that is the difference between this team being – um, what like three, four win team and being a five six win team. It's consistency, and to me, coming out of that bowl, out of that bowl, God, I did it again. <laughs> out of that bye week, <laughs> and 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 that's really what you saw from that point forward. It just they in each game they had moments, and then they just didn't. Um, except for maybe the tech game because there was nothing, nothing, nothing uh to write home about it like that. But for me, as I as I look back on last season. A theme that certainly presented itself was they just were not consistent enough to win football games, and that's something that they have to be able to change. And it's and it's and it's a daunting task because you have to do it from 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 the from the first kickoff through the through the final horn. Like you got, I mean, like that's a long time when you just when you don't have the the background, so to speak. You don't have the um, the muscle memory of what it means to be consistent. Developing consistency, I think, has to be one of the hardest things in sports. Yeah, I mean, I was I actually went back and was watching some of the spring highlights on Virginia Sports today, um, and was listening to the Broncos, you know, press conference after the spring game, 
And it's one of the things, one of the first things he mentioned, he's like, last year's team had extreme highs and extreme lows. And we've got to be, you know, we've got to get rid of that, those peaks and valleys. We've got to be more consistent. And, you know, when you're rec- when you're close to a season like this as a fan, like it takes a long time to digest what happened. You remember everything in absolutes. Um, and the last couple of weeks as we've kind of been talking about doing this podcast and looking back through the games, like you remember what happened at the end, but you go back and watch these games and it's so true. Like very few games other than the tech game um, and maybe the UNC game, Virginia was in it. Almost every one of them, um, even Miami, they lost, they were in it for a little while. Just something happens and it snowballs. This team just can't get out their own way after they make a mistake. Um, I don't know how you fix that. I don't know if it's, it's chicken or the egg argument. Do you, do you do it and then you learn how to do it or do you have to learn how to do it before you can do it? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. So I think that would be key. And I think that falls in the hands of, of senior leadership, maybe, or maybe it takes fresh guys that haven't had the bad ex- experiences of, of the guys who are seniors and haven't won that many games. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the offense especially was all over the place. I think that they were more explosive than the Steve Fairchild offenses, which wouldn't be, you know, too big of a leap, but <laughs> I do think that the offenses under Fairchild were a little bit more predictable. Like we knew what we were going to get game to game or quarter to quarter. Um, and that's not necessarily a good thing. But <laughs> I, I think like if you look at the Duke game, for example, big second quarter kind of carried over a little bit into the third. And then that was pretty much it started slow. The Central Michigan game actually might be the best example. And they put 28 points in the first quarter, I think, and then they gave up 28 straight points. But those 28 points came over two quarters plus. Um, it wasn't like they gave them all up immediately. Central Michigan worked their way back into that game because the offense stopped scoring. And then they exploded in the third quarter for three more touchdowns. So it's like what happened in that middle part of the game. The Louisville game, great example. I mean, they kind of they got out to that lead. I think it was, what, 17 to 7? Um, and they almost were able to add even more to that, but I don't, they they didn't convert in the red zone um, after an interception, I believe. Um, and then they kind of just shut it down for more than a quarter, and then they had one good drive at the end of the game. So I think they just got to find ways to, to play 60-minute games, and I know that's a cliche, but it's pretty true with this team. One yeah, thing- I mean, I think looking back on the season as we go through this, I mean, I think the two things will, you'll see that will maybe surprise you is we thought like we focused so much on the offense, but the defense last year was a problem. Um, bad. I mean, horrible. Like you don't remember it being so bad because it wasn't the, it's not as sexy to talk about the defense giving up plays that it is the offense not scoring. But a lot of these, you know, Ben Kurt kind of suffered the wrath, the quarterback play. But a lot of these games, he was having to take chances because the defense couldn't keep the other team from scoring. Um, and I think you'll also see that, you know, Kurt was really good for parts of this past season. Um, just the end of the season left a bad taste in your mouth. So it'll be interesting as we go by it, go through it. I'm sorry. Yeah. What's what's interesting to me, too, to kind of piggyback off of uh, Justin's point. Um, <clears throat> well, let me take a step back. If you think about if you think about like the idea of d- does it. Is it one of those things that you have to figure out how to do before you win, or do you have to win in order to figure out how you do it? I kind of feel like what you do is you put together a game, and then you're able to um, you're able to kind of bounce back from mistakes. And what's funny about that last season is that there were several mo- moments during the year in games where they actually did show some resolve and bounce back. And you're like, oh, like I think that to that Central Michigan game, game right? Twenty one uh, to up twenty one nothing. They give up twenty one unanswered, and then they score. 28 unanswered, right? Or they, I forget. It was the, 28 you know, unanswered. 28 points, unanswered, right? Yeah, yeah. 21. So then for them to do that, right? I mean, think about that. Like that's, they, they, they've, that's just not the way that they do this, you know? So there were other moments throughout the year. Like you mentioned that Pittsburgh game, for example. Um, the Louisville game, they, 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 even though they, they obviously lost it in really painful pa- fashion, they still had to score late. You know, you know what I'm saying? So they were moments where they had something that looked and resembled that fight through adversity gene. It just never it never showed up consistently enough for them to be able to sort of do anything with it. And, and I agree. Like, I think as fans look back at, at last season, one of the problems is, is that 
for a lot of people like Kurt Ben Kirk was 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 trash. But that's not the that's not reality. The reality is is that more often than not, his mistakes were came in really really bad spots, and a lot of times his mistakes uh, were not necessarily a guy trying to make a play. They were a guy trying to either do too much or just not. Uh, being completely dialed in like I remember like at Wake Forest for example I feel like there was um, I feel like there were a couple of those um, where he would run to the sideline and instead of getting rid of it kind of either go out of bounds or uh, and I remember there was a really bad interception and it's one of those deals where I think as as um, as they go forward you're not going to become somebody completely different but you sort of have to have to uh, amplify um, the. You have to amplify the good of the good that you have, right? If you want to put your handprint on on uh, on, on a game, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to show your good, and you're gonna have to do it that consistently. And I think that's the thing for Kurt. Like we can talk about pocket presence, we can talk about you know he's lighter on his feet. We can talk about the the uh, the shoulder injury or the knee brace or whatever. But realistically, like play to play, he's gonna have to be. In a mentally, mentally, um, to be mentally sharp, and to the point where those little mistakes that crept in last year don't do that this year, because we saw how you know how how devastating they were at times. Yeah. So with Bankert, especially, you know, I think he's gotten kind of a bad rap. If you actually look at the numbers, I think he played better than people realize. The problem was that he just put up a lot of big numbers in a few games and didn't spread them out evenly, I guess. But um, do you guys want to hear the list of UVA quarterbacks who have thrown for 21 touchdowns in a season since Marcus Higgins? Sure. Do we have enough time? No, please go. (laughs) Kurt Bankert. No. That's it. Wow, really? The only other person that was close was Matt Johns through 20 last in 2015, but he also threw 17 interceptions. Yeah. And Barry Bankert could throw like six in a game. Right, yeah. Banker threw 11 this past year, and Matt Johns threw five. So, yeah. Um, 21-11, and what was he, 2,400 yards or something? 25-52. Yeah, it's a good season. Completed 56% of his passes. Threw the ball 37 times a game. So that's not that bad. I mean, it's not great, but I think if he could do a little bit better than that this year, we're talking about the best quarterback performance we've seen in years at UVA. I mean... And I, it didn't really feel like that when it was happening, partially because they were losing every game. Almost. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, he was putting up, he was moving the ball through the air in ways that I mean, even you could say, well, garbage time, whatever. But none of these other guys did it. I mean, if you go back and look, 2014, leading pass or leading quarterback for 2015 in terms of attempts and playing time, Grayson Lambert, ten touchdowns, eleven picks. 2013, David Watford, eight touchdowns, fifteen picks. 2012, Rocco, 13 touchdowns, 10 picks. Rocco again in 2011, 13 and 12 picks. 2010, Verica. And Verica was supposed to be like a consistent quarterback when he kind of came in. He was a senior. And he threw 14 touchdowns and 14 picks. So, I mean, he's like not even close to these other guys in terms of production. He's like way exceeding them. Jamil Sewell in 2009, seven touchdowns and seven picks. I mean, like, and Verica in 2008, eight touchdowns. 16 picks. I mean, this is not even like close. He, he's been the best quarterback UV has had in a long time. Yeah, and he did that in, you know, in a season where he got sacked three times or more, eight different games, man. Yeah. Um, and a team that only rushed for more than 110 yards in four games, I think it is. One, two. I'm sorry. Yeah, four games the team put up more than 110 rushing yards. Um, so he did it, you know, with the teams expecting him to pass and being able to get to him pretty easily. Um, and we know that wasn't his strong suit last year. Yeah, I mean, Michael Rocco actually had a pretty decent season in terms of yards in 2011. I mean, he played one more game. Um, actually, two more because Baker didn't play against Georgia Tech at all. Um, he threw for 2,600 yards, which is probably like a game better than Bankert playing two more. But he only threw for 13 touchdowns and he threw 12 picks. So, I mean, you can move the ball, but if you can't score touchdowns, like, what's the difference? Yeah. Um, let's do this. Let's let's talk about the non-conference portion of last season's schedule and and, and talk about some of the the things you can learn. <laughs> Obviously, the the Richmond game last year and and sort of the way that thing played out and 
certainly the not just the result, but the the manner in which it kind of um, transpired uh, has certainly left um, a really uh, a really firm sort of um, trepidation among I think fans going into the the this season with the William and Mary game. Now William and Mary was picked seventh, uh, picked to finish seventh in the CAA, which. I saw some Ferber tweeted it out, and I re- retweeted it from the Cavs Corner account, and some some dude responded, and who might listen to the podcast? I don't know. And basically said, well, yeah, so was UVA picked seventh, but that's not. I mean, seventh in the coastal. So, I mean, seventh in the CAA. Okay, um, these games obviously very different um, for a variety of reasons, but in terms of what Virginia needs to do, I, I mean, that Richmond team surprised me in a variety of ways, and I know that they suffered a bunch of injuries as the season wore on, so. It's hard to it's hard to compare apples to apples, you know what they would have been had they been the same team. But um, between them and, and what we saw out in uh, in Eugene, um, and certainly, um, I, I, in a way, I kind of think of those two games as being like not a part of the season because Rich, the Richmond situation was such. I think that in a lot of ways, maybe mentally, uh, but maybe even in terms of preparation, I'm not sure. That seemed like a game Virginia was expecting to win, got punched in the mouth, and just never really recovered from. Oregon, I feel like that team that that Oregon had was uh, was one of its worst, um, and yet still had more talent. And I think Virginia went out there and 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 just hoped to not get blown out. I really think the season started in East Hartford for, in a lot of ways, and I think that's where you finally start to see him get some traction. What I find interesting about the non-conference, if I'm just going to talk about UConn and Central Michigan, is that those were both games that were very winnable, games that Virginia should have won. Um, they've managed to do it a- against Central Michigan, even though there was that back and forth. But that UConn game sticks in my craw for a s- for so many reasons. Um, and and I, and I think if there's a lesson that you take from that one, it, we've talked a lot about it amongst ourselves about the way that thing played out. But like a lot of the decisions that were made in that fourth quarter especially in the last few minutes, just still don't make any sense to me. And I think if there's something I can take away from that UConn game, um, other than uh, you should you should have been able to score points on them, uh, is that uh, the coaches have to put the kids in a better spot this year. The idea that they were setting up for a field goal with a guy who had never kicked a field goal ever uh, continues to baffle me. As a matter of fact, that might actually baffle me more than – running in two different quarterbacks almost on a play-by-play basis in Blacksburg. Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me, especially because you had opportunities to score and win the game. Um, so for me, if there's a takeaway from that game, and, and, and I'll let you guys chime in, like why, why, why they did a lot of what they did in that game, I still don't understand. I'd like to see the coaching staff have more faith in their guys and be, uh, if not necessarily more aggressive, um, at least more assertive in terms of how they – uh, call, make calls toward the end, uh, and certainly don't set up for what 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 was what. Um, how long was the field goal that the kid had to try at the end? Do you guys remember About the yardage? 18, I mean, it was it yards. wasn't it wasn't. But I mean, it was like under duress, and I understand like they had, you know, they had they had timed it in practice, and they knew how many seconds they needed to, in order to get. But like, why would you put yourself in a position when you don't have to um, to make that to make that call? So if there's anything I take away from the UConn game, um, it's that. Um, you know, the coaches have to do, I think, a better job of putting guys in the right spots. Yeah, I mean, the first two games you talked about, I mean, Virginia was minus six in turnovers and minus six in sacks allowed and gave up 330 passing yards in both games and 187 and 301 rushing yards. Like, it's hard to win any game doing that. Um, UConn was nice because, let's face it, UConn's offense was pretty terrible, um, which gave the, the defense a chance to keep our offense in the game and just didn't, you know, it, up until the UConn game, we hadn't attempted a field goal. Now, we attempted a field goal earlier in the UConn game. Was that the other kicker that kicked it? Uh, so we made one. We made one before the last one, which I think may have given him the confidence. Because I think that same – I can't remember the guy, kid's name now. Yeah, he horrible. made it. Furbeck made it, but it was a 23-yarder. Yeah. So, I mean – <laughs> I mean, I think he would have probably made this one, but he was, like, rushing, and they snapped yeah. the ball while he was still lining up. And they still had two seconds left to snap the ball. But, um, I mean, Ferber did a wonderful video breakdown of the 
of what in retrospect looks like a horrible play call having Binker with the quarterback draw with like 30 seconds left. Um, but it turns out it was pretty close to being the right call. I mean, no, 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 no. It was never the right call. Just because something almost works doesn't mean it was right. Okay. All right. If you, it, it just because, just because you put a cat in the oven, don't make it a biscuit. All right. Like it, it, it doesn't matter if it almost worked. It was never the right call. It was a horrible call. And <laughs> I'm trying not to go into my knife voice. Uh, it, it was a bad call and we don't need to, we don't need to revise history. Okay. Had, had Kurt somehow miraculously spun, um, jumped off a giblet and landed in the end zone. It, do, it would never. It was never a good call. Listen, I, I am tired of of covering offenses that don't run either receivers to the sti- past the sticks or put a guy in the end zone and take a shot when you can win the game. All right, I'm I'm I'm. It, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, this this offense works better when they're throwing the ball. Now I understand as we we talked about it a couple weeks ago. You know. The numbers show you, the stats show you that when Virginia was balanced last year between the run and the pass, they were pretty good offensively. It's when they had to go pass heavy. Now, some of that's probably situational in games that they were behind and chasing. Um, some of that also, I think, too, is playing to your, your offensive strength, with, which last season the offensive strength was to basically try to go downfield. Um, I'm just saying that I think in, the, in hindsight, one takeaway from me is just that they – they had opportunities if they wanted them, and I don't think that they were assertive enough to put themselves in the right positions to, to take those chances or to or to to swing to take those swings. Um, what's interesting to me is that I feel like in the next two games they did. Um, now, granted, in the Duke game, uh, look, they were Duke was a turnover machine that day. the The Jones kid threw four picks. I think Duke had five. Was it five or six turnovers? Six. Um, six. You know, Bryce Hall had that one interception where he like leaped in the air to bat the ball down and still somehow managed to like catch it in his gut um it was it wasn't in a lot of ways sort of hey look this is what happens when the other team does what you've been doing all these years um but at the same time like <laughs> you still needed you still needed a, a a strip sack fumble in the end zone in order to seal it i mean that game shouldn't have been that close and I th- and I think that was one of the things too as at, that sort of presented itself, which was in a lot of these games that Virginia ultimately end up losing, they had some good moments and 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 ultimately like there were mom- there were times where they could take advantage of of opportunities, especially like um, kicking trying to kick field goals uh, or excuse me putting in a position where they went for it and couldn't get it, um, drive killing situations. And you just and you, I remember Ferber. I remember being in, in, in a press box more than like two or three times last year, where Ferber would say to me, "Yeah, that's that. You, you needed to get more points in that there. They're in trouble." And I, I remember thinking, like, God, I hate how he does that because he's always like all like soothsayer and stuff, and he says these things like and whatever, and then like ultimately he is always right. Um, but it is kind of nice to to have the guy who's always right sitting next to you. Um, but it, <laughs> but he's also not annoying about it too. That's that's nice. But, like, I just feel like in these two games, and especially down in Durham, I thought Virginia did a nice job of keeping his foot on the pedal and not letting up uh, and, and, and sort of making good on uh, their opportunities. What's crazy is to think that they still had more that they didn't. And, and I think that sort of becomes a theme, especially through uh, the next few games, is, like, they – whether it's an, an offense with a lead, an offense without a lead, that I just feel like to, fer, to I think it was Ferber who said this earlier, like the, the Fairchild offenses were at least predictable. This thing can be just up and down, man. And that's got to be something that levels out this year. They've got to be able to do something on a more consistent basis. Um, you know, it's nice to put together a quick, you know, four play, 69 yard drive because you threw a bomb and everything. That's great. But you got to be able to manufacture offense. And whether you're doing that on the ground, whether you're doing that through the intermediate passing game, whatever you got to do to do it, you got to figure that out. And I think that's something that not only they need to be assertive in play call, and I feel like as you look at some of these games and the way things sort of played out, um, they've got to be able to, to be consistent on offense. I, I mean, like that Pittsburgh game, for example, that second half, I just remember thinking, like, they're just salting this thing away, um, which I remember that game being an up-and-down one. Um, but to me, it's a, so, some takeaways from last season. It's funny how like I'm still focusing on like what the coaches need to do differently, um, which is completely organic. I did not plan it that way. Um, I wish I was that kind of rock star. Um, 
but I, I just look at that and I think, you know what, they got to be assertive and they've also got to be, you know, got to be smarter about, um, you know, what they call and, and how they call it and when they call it. Yeah, that pit game is a perfect example of um, how I think we look weird at Ben Kurt. I think if you asked anyone what happened in that game, they're like, well, Ben Kurt threw the pick six at the end of the first half. Well, it wasn't like it was a throw into the flat. I mean, he missed the guy and 20 people had a chance to tackle him before he got to the end zone. It was actually, to me, it was, uh, I think Virginia went up like 14 to se- it was either 14 to seven or 21, 14. And then they took it back, took, took the kickoff back. Um, I mean, it was more than the Ben Kurt pick. It's just, we couldn't stop him in the first half. And then we put up three points after halftime. Um, you know, it's just, and from that point forward, pretty much the second half of the pick game on, um, our offense never achieved what it, we had seen. Yeah, it was um, like a whole different first animal. two weeks, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean that pit game. It wasn't just the kick that was returned for a touchdown. They had another one that was returned to like the ten. Oh, that's right. I forgot about and that. And then one. they scored on that drive. So it was like I remember watching the game. I wasn't at the game. I remember watching it and thinking, you know, based on how they played against Duke in their previous game, I was like, well, Pitt's lucky to be in this game. You know, they had two long special teams plays. UVA's offense has been clearly better than theirs because they scored on, like, every drive. Um, and I was like, if things keep going the way they're going, UVA is going to win this game by, like, 10 points because Pitt, I mean, they're not going to return every kick for a touchdown. So I was like, if they can just sure up the special teams, their offense is clicking, you know, they're going to score a bunch of points. Um, then the banker pick six happened. And then it was like, all right, now they're losing at halftime. That's weird. So they had a kick return touchdown, a kick return to the 10, which led to a touchdown, and a pick six, and had 35 points. So they only gave up two drives on defense that were bad. That was one of the better defensive performances, actually. Yeah, um, they had less than 400 yards offense that game. Yeah, and, and then they did. had one touchdown drive in the second half. I think it was in the third quarter. Um, but didn't Pitt – But fourth. I feel like they – I was going to say, it was a James Conner touchdown, right? Wasn't it James Conner? No, I just, a shovel pass. To like I just remember him – I just remember them just sort of imposing their will in the fourth quarter. Um, and UVA didn't – because UVA couldn't keep the ball. Like, yeah. they just kept going three and out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Carolina game, to me, is – in my mind, like, I remember Louisville. I remember Wake. I remember – I even remember parts of Miami. I don't remember much of anything from the Carolina game, and I'm, I'm not really sure why. Like why? Yeah, I'm not the same. It's it wasn't a very notable game. Like, I just was. I, I just don't know. Like, was there something especially horrendous to start that my brain was like, "Hey, we need to put, we need to, we need to save you from your, uh, from the from the deluge of me, of message board posts that are coming." So let's. Uh, the only the only thing I remember was they they it was like pretty close for a while, and then they ran a trick play. With Trubisky at wide receiver, and he threw a touch like a bomb, and then that was when they were up fourteen to seven. I think it was that was pretty much came. Yeah, our offense just, but we had two hundred and fifty three yards offense that game. It was just yeah. I mean, their only touchdown in the first half was the fake field goal, which still I don't even know how that happened. <laughs> oh, was that? Yeah, you're right. Oh, I do have a memory of that. Okay, good. All right, fine. My my body did not completely protect me from that one. No, but I would but say that. And then was... it still didn't feel like they had a chance to win the no. game. Uh-uh. That, for some reason, that game just always felt like it wasn't going to happen because North yeah. Carolina kept like moving the ball, but they kept shooting themselves in the foot, and UVA like couldn't do anything. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was probably our third worst game of the year behind Virginia Tech and, and Richmond. I mean, I thought just everyone was flat. There was no energy, and ne- never, never a good time when uh, when your two worst games of the year are <laughs> the opener and the and the finale. Right, <laughs> and also the one against the team you played a hundred and a bajillion times. Right, um, the Louisville game to me is a is a, in in some ways a perfect sort of uh, analogy for Virginia's twenty sixteen season. Right, um, making plays and putting pressure on a team that you had really no business being in a game with, them sort of making mistakes uh, and keeping you in position to win it. You go down and make a play late and put yourself in position to win it, and then they, they, they remember who they are, and then they go down and win it themselves. And, you know, as Ferber said earlier today, very Notre Dame fashion uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, I mean, we were saying that as it was happening. It, yeah, it, yeah, we were, it, was, it was very eerie. Um, because that, that's a thing people – I think this one was easier to swallow than the Notre Dame one because 
Because you'd already like, swallowed like the Jackson's Notre Dame touchdown was like a 30-yard touchdown. Like, they were in field goal range already. Yeah. So it was like they were probably going to lose even if he didn't throw that touchdown. Yeah, that game, like, the more I went back and looked at that one, we had no business ever being in that game. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it really. We only had 300 and something yards of offense. Um, the I mean, first had half more passing yards was, like, on the cusp of breaking out over and over again, and they would have, like, a, a t- like a penalty or a they had like a fumble in or there. Or Lamar would throw some dude like 15 yards wide. Or dudes were, yeah, were, yeah, were, were like, like a bunch of drops, too. The guy in the hands and drop it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. It was our defense. I mean, they sacked Lamar five times and forced two turnovers. Um, ended up even in the turnover battle, but five to one sack advantage, which was our best of the year by far. Um, it's funny, you know, the three four is historic. No matter who had it, it's always done well against scrambling quarterbacks um, up until the last few minutes when it needed to. <laughs> so. But you know what's funny, though, is that, like, at some point, I, look, I, I remember coming out of that game thinking, you know what, though, at some point, like, the best player in the country is going to become the, you know, he's going to show you. And he, and, and they, to that point in the day, I mean, he had had a couple of plays, but to that point in the day, like, he hadn't been himself, really. And he was, it was going to happen. It just so happened at the exact wrong time. And, and I really do believe that if Virginia had had the ball last, they, they, you know, they would have won. Um, because they, it, that was one of those games where they, they, they were, they were able to make plays late. Um, and what's funny to me is the juxtaposition between that week and the next week down in Winston-Salem. Because that Wake Forest game is still one of the weirdest. Um, like It was one of those games where like at no point in that game did I feel like Virginia was going to win. And yet at no point in that game did I feel like Virginia shouldn't win. Do you, do you, do you see what I'm saying? Like It was the strangest yeah. vibe in the stadium. Um, like Wake Forest was like, and I mean, I'm sure they're, they're, you know, they're going to probably be that way this year too, like, like we want to slow everything down and then they're they're not really it's not they're not a true dual threat team but they run a lot out of the quarterback position which is odd to say out loud um i just remember thinking in that game like one it was it was there were so many mistakes that virginia made that literally made that boggled the mind um and yet i i just i mean i knew wake had a decent defense i just I could never understand like why UVA was struggling so bad to get the offense working, and yeah, and that and like that Wake, just stayed that way. Uh, what I was going to say is like Wake played football in that game, and I think a lot of games last year, kind of like how people that don't watch UVA basketball think they play. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, true. Like just keep the ball as long as possible and and use it as an advantage. Like just slow everything down to a snail's pace and just try to like grind everything out. And that's how, how they actually team. play. Yeah. Like their quarterback threw the ball ten times. Yep. In a yeah. close game. Yeah. That yeah, yeah, was another yeah another game where turnovers cost us. I mean, minus two didn't force anything and lost by a touchdown on the road. Um, yeah. Yeah, they got outscored ten <laughs> nothing in the fourth. And what's funny too is that like the more you break down these games, you you find you kind of understand two things. And and look, I've said this before on this podcast. I will say it again. I am the two things can be true at the same time guy. Right. You feel like. UVA was in a bunch of these games, and that like, if you had to go up to some knobs and twist them around to 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 fix it, like there's not a whole lot of twisting on the knobs. And yet at the same time, you feel like UVA was in a in a bunch of games that had no business being in. They were clearly outmatched in a variety of ways, pretty much every week. Um, it just it kind of underscores for me, just like like we think of, um, man, they just need to get back to a bowl game, and like. We understand that the schedule this year is going to be more. Um, um, it's going to be easier to get there in some ways, right? Than than schedules of the past. But like the more I think about this team last year, and the more I think like a handful of plays go another way, and that that team that legitimately earned two and ten could have gone to a bowl game, right? Like it's it's ridiculous how easy in some ways it is. To turn things around, and yet at the same time, how far away they really are, right? Because I think from a talent standpoint, they're they're a good bit, bit of ways away, especially uh, on the offensive line. We we've talked about that to death already. Um, but then you, but then you only needed a handful of plays to be made in different ways, and like that's the thing. Like that Wake Forest game, like you take one of those mistakes away, because if I remember correctly, wasn't Virginia up ten late? And then Wake came at least down seven, I think. Now nah, they went up. They were up uh, twenty to seventeen or something. So they were, they were, but they had a lead. They had a lead. I feel like it was a touchdown. 
feel like they were up a touchdown. Wake came. It was. I'm looking at it right now. It was 20 to 17. So they were up, and then Wake they scored two touchdowns in a row. Though they scored the, that's the right, crazy Dowling catch, and yeah. then the bomb to smoke. So, so then is that? And then Wake kicked the field goal to tie, and then mm-hmm. scored the touchdown to win. Yep. Okay. Well, After seven minutes right? ago. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Take take one of those mistakes away, and it's a game they're right there in on the road, right against a team that went to a bowl game, like. That's the that's the reality of what Virginia faces in 2017. Like that's who they are. They are a team that is somehow both a handful of plays away and like nowhere close. All at yeah, the same I mean, time. If you look at it, the first quarter, I, th- I think they scored their first drive of the game, right? Ellis went and scored like a short touchdown. I think so. Um, yeah, Virginia's pretty good at that. <laughs> yeah, and then like you know, Wake came back and had that crazy touchdown by Walford, like where he ran for like a million yards. Um, and after that, it kind of like nothing happened really. And then Wake won the second quarter ten nothing. So then you're like, all right, it's seventeen to six at halftime. Then UVA comes out of the ha- out of the locker room and wins the third quarter fourteen nothing, right? So then it's like, okay, cool. They they totally turned it around. <laughs> They're and in then, business. <laughs> then they lost the fourth quarter ten nothing. Yeah. Uh, that's the other thing too. Is that the second half? They, it's like. It's like either it's going to all be there or it's all, you know what I mean? Like it's just, I don't know. I don't even know how much we want to get into the next uh, three games because. Um, yeah, it was pretty bad. Yeah, from <laughs> basically the rest of November was was brutal. Um, nothing, the light, I mean, that, that Tech game, man. Whew. I mean, I'm not even going to lie. There were, some, there were some moments during that Tech game where I was rethinking my whole entire, like, uh, um occupation and what I was doing with my life. Yeah. Like, the only good thing about that tech game is yeah. The only good thing about that game is we got to watch basketball afterwards. <laughs> that was it. But even that game was tight. Yeah, but we won. <laughs> I tell oh you gosh. what was almost as bad as watching that tech game was sitting go. in traffic. Yep, afterwards. I knew that was coming. <laughs> Forever when I sat in traffic. But you know what's funny is I'm historically not really good in traffic. Like I'm an I'm an anxious kind of person. I don't like sitting, you know I like. I want to go ahead and get somewhere, and like Ferber and I just sort of. I don't even know what we talked about. I just remember getting through all that traffic and finally getting to Dave's house and being like, <laughs> just thinking like, "Wow, that really wasn't all that bad." But in hindsight, like I remember it being bad. Is that that's weird? I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, it was bad. It, it was, was bad, definitely yes. bad. But it was over so early that you were able to accept it. Like, yeah, well, that plus, like, yeah. I mean, in our ride home, it wasn't as bad as the team bus or whatever that got, got stuck. <laughs> That's such a great that, metaphor. That's your microcosm for the season. No, I still, I still, I still. No, that's probably true. Um, the Miami game is the only one of those last three that I think has any relevance because even the Georgia Tech game, like they were playing with Matt Johns. Yeah, so true. I mean, that's kind of like an aberrant. Like it's just a one-off. Like it doesn't even matter to me now. Yeah, and that was also their first time really seeing the. I remember though that we kind of convinced ourselves going into the Georgia I Tech them game to win. But we convinced ourselves that like their background defending the the triple option was going to somehow like manifest itself in these players' brains and make them good at it. <laughs> well, they actually were a lot better defending the run against Georgia Tech than they were anyone else the last four weeks of the season. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> I mean, a good the point. Georgia Tech game, if I remember correctly, they were kind of in the game into the third quarter, and, and then, then all Georgia of a Tech it was had over. like one long play, and then yeah. they had a pick six. It was the yeah, minus was three like... turnovers and one for three field goals. Ooh, yeah, times. and you lost by 14. Yeah, I remember UVA got like a fumble or something back from them, and it was like they had a chance to go up 10 or 14 or whatever it was, and I was like, oh, they might actually get this win. And then they had to settle for a field goal that they missed. Oh, my gosh, I just remember what I remember. Yeah, It's funny as I go through these games, right, because some things are popping back into my memory. I forgot my jacket. Okay, let me tell you all. <laughs> so, so, so in Atlanta, you have an outdoor press box, which is not quite like UVA's outdoor press box in the sense like at UVA, you're outside, but you're kind of underneath an overhang. Yeah, Georgia Tech, you're just like hanging out there. Right, Georgia Tech, you were just, just out, like in the middle of the thing. And like it was windy, and I remember like my computer kept being like covered in like dirt and dust, right? And like I somehow forgot my jacket. It's, it was in the car, and like it was like – 50 something degrees but the wind was there and like for a little while like i'm i'm a big dude so I, I i was okay and then like it started to set in and that's that was my takeaway from the georgia tech game which is uh, it helps to be able to stop the triple option uh and also never forget your jacket um do yeah we, i went down there two years ago and it was like 35 degrees and 25 and w- miles yeah wind. that's right you had another cold well yours was much colder but and also it was unbelievable it was, yeah. i was like where am i 
<laughs> it's like, like you, you turn around and next thing you do, that's what's funny is that Tech was in the black game of Blacksburg was next because I still I still cannot forget the last time I went to to Blacksburg for a Virginia Virginia Tech game that I did not cover as a working member of the media, you know, best in the business and everything, uh, was in uh, what was the was the Shab really cold windy year. Um, oh god, the two and, kickoff game. Yeah, he, he threw like he was like three for twenty passing. And uh, I remember we, my buddy and I, he was dating a girl at Tech at the time, and we went to uh, we went to a party, and we went inside, and it was fifty some degrees and sunny, and we came outside and it was like thirty four and blustery, and neither one of us had brought a jacket or a hat or gloves. And luckily, the the girl he was dating, her dad loaned us a pair of gloves. I wore one. He wore the other one. We kept one hand in our pocket. We got a cup of hot chocolate that we were going to share, and it literally blew out of his hand, And which was a nice microcosm for what happened to UVA that day. Um, <laughs> yeah, the wind down there is no joke. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was, yeah. So I, I, don't, I don't know really what to take away from that last one other than no. – I think the coaching staff learned. I think Virginia had mailed it in. Our players had mailed it in, and I they don't got know if they, popped well, in the nose. I don't know well, when you get popped in the nose that early after a bad season and, on the road, I, I I refuse to say mail it in because I think it it wasn't a question of guys playing hard. It was a question of guys being mentally ready and focused and able to sort of turn the page. Um, I think Tech saw it as kind of like a. I don't want to. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they were Tech up for the extremely... game, but they kind of saw it as like we're going to send the seniors out on a high note. Right. And UVA and was like, extremely, Let's get this over. Yeah, I think ex- they were extremely loose, and I, I think Virginia didn't go in. Um, and I'm always, and I think we talked about this around the game. I, I, I'm. I don't think you can go into one of these games, a rivalry, whatever, whatever, and just talk about it as if it's another game. Like I think you have to be mindful of the energy it requires and the and the and the way that the stuff will just manifest itself. Like you can't just pretend like all this emotion isn't going to be there cuz it's going to be there. And if you don't bring it to the game, then it will dominate you once you get to the stadium. Like there's just no way to pretend otherwise. And and I think I do think that the coaches learned a valuable lesson that day. And and I'm yeah. not going to say that like the changes you saw in the spring were directly from that game. I don't think it was that one to one. But I'm. I think that, that the way that thing played out, I think it it's it stuck with them. And I will not be shocked at all if we get to November and we start writing stories or start you know interviewing Bronco and and, and others, and they talk about how bad that experience stuck with them. Um, now look, Bronco's his own kind of dude, so he might say, well, you know what, I don't really care about what happened last year, last year, last year. But I think it makes it makes a lot of sense to me that that is something that. I mean, these are prideful guys, and I and I think that they were already stunned at how horribly the season was going. That thing was just a um, just a a craptastic cake on a craptastic sandwich. Um, so let's uh, yeah. I was Go going ahead. to say let's 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 just give some some overarching thoughts before we uh, discuss the the defense for a few minutes. Um, what or maybe we'll save defense for for next week. Um, as we talk about sort of the first three practices as well, but give me some overarching thoughts on on uh, on last season. Now that we've sort of gone through it uh, in some ways and relived it a little bit. I mean, I mean, for me, we kind of you know we frame this off off air as you know kind of being like, what was the problem last year, and is that problem going to be any better? Um, I find it funny you think of most of the threads you've read leading up to the season, most of the conversation on the board. It's like. Oh, the defense will be okay. We just got to be better offensively. And like I said earlier, you start going by these games, game by game, and you know maybe it's you know maybe maybe it's because the offense is bad. The defense is on the field a lot, and that some of that was the case. But I don't think we should assume that the defense is going to carry this team. Um, I mean, only once all year did we hold an opponent under twenty points, um, and that was UConn, held Duke to twenty, and we gave up thirty at least nine times. Like. You gotta have a pretty good offense to win games, giving up thirty points a game. Um, granted, we're in a more offensive age and blah blah blah, but you know the good defenses still hold teams to you know mid twenties. Um, so that's got to improve. So, a lot of ways that's a little depressing. But you know, you figure you're replacing someone like Wilkins, and you think about you know how good he was. But the team wasn't very good against a run last year. Um, 
maybe that gets fixed by not being able to rely on Wilkins so much and being a little more creative. Uh, maybe understanding the system helps. So, I mean, I, I think you'd be silly to focus only on the offense as the, as the thing it has to improve. Um, not saying you guys would, but I think the over you know, the overriding conversation has been offense. Um, and then I think you know, assuming Ben Kurt has to like change into some superhero that he wasn't last year, I think is foolish. Like he was a really good quarterback who, the last few games of the season between his injury and the rotation and all that stuff. Um, yeah, I think what he did early as he learned the offense, you know, his first time as a starting quarterback is getting overshadowed by that and is encouraging to me that what the offense can do, even without smoke. All right, Ferber, you're up. Yes. I mean, there's a few things that I think from last season, we might look back, you know, this year or a couple years from now and just kind of see them as one-offs, um, like the special teams issues with the kicking game. Like, I don't think that's going to continue. I think that's more of just a one-off. I mean, the guy that was probably going to be the kicker got kicked off the team. So, I mean, it was kind of a weird situation. Uh, I think that actually did have an impact on things, though, and I think that we could maybe see some marginal improvement in that way. I mean, they scored 22 points a game. Um, I think they probably could have scored 24 or more if they had had, like, a reliable kicker that they could trust instead of having to go for it um, when they did. So... And just it kind of changes your strategy from a play-calling standpoint, too. I mean, honestly, I think, it, it. you know, what Brad said I think is right. It's like they're 2-10. and 10. They deserve to be 2-10. and 10. I mean, if you look at the everything all, all told. Um, but at the same time, I think the difference between 2-10 and 10 and 6-6 six and six isn't as much as people realize. Like, that UVA 2011 season of eight and four was a mirage. I mean, if you look back, it just doesn't fit with the rest of what happened. Um, and maybe we look back and say, you know, 2016 was the year that doesn't fit with the rest of what happened in a bad way. But um, I, I think what Dave said about the defense is spot on. I think, I, I mean, I think the fact that they have Kaiser and Blanding kind of makes people think that the defense has been really good. Um, and, those two guys are capable players that have made a lot of big plays, but overall, I mean, they gave up a lot of big plays. They couldn't stop Richmond. I mean, they could not stop them. They gave up 37 points, and then Richmond marched up and down the field on them like they weren't even there. Um, I mean, the Oregon game, that's Oregon. It is what it is, even though Oregon took a step back. The UConn game, they played pretty good, but UConn's offense is in a, is abysmal. I mean, like, if you thought UVA's was running the mill or average, theirs was way worse than that. I mean, they had multiple games where they scored zero. Um, so, I don't know. I think it's just, from a win-loss perspective, it's kind of hard to say, like, I mean, how much they're going to take a step forward this year or how far away they were last year to me, but... I think that, like I said at the beginning of the of the show, I think it's going to come down as if they can play 60-minute games, even if they lose, I think they can kind of carry that over with them. Whereas if you play good in spurts, you know, the next game, if you had like a good run of a quarter or so the game prior, the first time, you, you know, if you're playing well the next week and then you hit some adversity, you're going to think, oh, well, you know, we play okay sometimes in short spurts, but now it's time for us to, you know, the real us is here now, we're going to lose. Um, so I think there are some mental hurdles that this team needs to go, you know, get over to, to be successful. I would, uh, I would, I would definitely echo that. And I would say that I think as we look back on last season and certainly the way it translates to this year, we all understand that, um, as I mentioned earlier, consistency is important. I think defensively, you're right. I think that, that Virginia has Blanding and Kaiser certainly, uh, makes folks think that the defense is better. Um, the problem I, I think that Virginia will have this year is that, as Dave mentioned earlier, you know Wilkins isn't there in the middle, so they got to figure that out. Um, you know, you're probably looking at um, a, a brand new starter at inside linebacker, though that's with an asterisk because obviously Jordan Mack has experience. Um, and then you're 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 moving a couple pieces around in the secondary. Um, you're going to have essentially Harrison and Hall at corner, Juan Thornhill moving over to safety. Um, probably going to have a different nickel back. Uh, the defense has to improve, and I feel like it's it's weird to say considering as many as much as we talked about offense last year. But the more I think about it, 
I, I just I just believe that the defense improving. I, I, let me rephrase. I just believe that the defense playing up to what we think it can be based on the experience level and, and what they have coming back, that could have a significant impact on this team. Uh, I think just offensively, the, the calls have to be better. I, I, I'm my sneaky suspicion has been and will continue to be at least until the William Mary game, and, and I'm and I'm clearly wrong again. My my sneaky suspicion has been that one of the issues UVA had offensively last year, at least from a play call standpoint, is that they were not sure what to do when you have a smoke and an Alameda. They're used to that guy being the same guy. And so it, I think too often they were trying to, to, to force things. And I just genuinely wonder if they might not be better this year being in what fits them more, you know, in terms of a traditional sort of uh, group of receivers, a traditional sort of group of running backs for them. Um, the offensive line obviously is a huge question mark and that – they were able to play all year last year um, pretty much together. Certainly seems to imply that they will have some hiccups to, to, to deal with this year. But as I look back at last year, I, I just can't help but think that they weren't, they weren't terribly far away, and yet at the same time they were very far away. Because the thing that gets you there is that consistency. It's that ability to make, uh, make something happen even when it hasn't been happening for you that day. Um, and... I think today. I think I think Dave said this earlier. Like sometimes you you need newer guys to that just don't. They're not tainted by that other thing. You know, they're not tainted by the past. It just doesn't mess with them because it's not something they experience. I really do think that there were times last year where these young kids would get in the game and they make plays because they didn't know any better. You know, they were they they didn't leave they didn't live through previous crap. You know, a lot of these guys though did because they were there last year. So in a way, I kind of feel like um, it, my. My expectations for the season were going in were going to be low. Um, they will be low when we get to our prediction podcast. Spoiler alert! But I just I just look back on last year and I think they could have been better last year. Maybe not maybe not dramatically better, but they could have been better. And yeah. the fact that they weren't might might have a big impact on this year too. Yeah, and I think it would be a miss not to like we've talked about the team itself. But um, I mean, Broncos admitted it. A lot of people admit it. I don't think the coaches are happy of the way they performed last year. Um, yeah, it's an understatement, but, um, you know, you think back to last fall camp, we spent more time talking about when they're going to get their numbers than, you know, well, what are we going to do? That's play another call thing too. Like we talked about that, but that was because we didn't get to see a lot of practices. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm sorry. I mean, that's something that we like, talked about, but I mean, I don't think that that was a, a topic that like, I think no, the whole no, culture no. thing for fans and the way that we look at it now, like I remember being in, in spring, and people being like, oh, I'm just glad we're talking about football. Like, well, we were talking about all this weird stuff because it was weird. Like, yeah, I don't yeah. think it dominated their conversation. No, no, I'm not saying that. My, my point is, like, you know, it was an excuse for the coaches. Like, you know, we spent too much time talking about it. It was what was always mentioned in the media, and it kind of gave them an out. Like, hey, we didn't know the players we had. Like, granted, you know, if you take them at their word, they didn't look watch a lot of old film. They kind of learned about the players as they were. And if you look at the way they handled OZ, maybe they didn't understand what they had. Um, they've taken that excuse off the table this offseason. You know, they've said, hey, we spent too much time on, you know, this year is more football. We're putting more. So we'll find out if, you know, if it's just coach speak. Um, and we'll find out how, you know, how prodful they are. I mean, I think when they look back on last season, none of them are going to be happy with the way the season went. Um, they've never lost. It's their first time losing. Um, as a fan, I, I hope, like I'm, I'm hoping it's true. They were just worried so much about getting the culture in. They forgot to play football. Um, that would sure make my life easier this year if we go eight and four or something, but, um, <laughs> that's fun. well, also I think that, you know, there's a, there's an element and I don't mean this as a criticism necessarily, but if all you do is win, like if, you know, throughout your career at BYU, they probably came in like. Well, we're gonna win. We're gonna that's, have our. You know what's funny? Long, but we're gonna win. You that's know, exactly that's all we what Bronco did. said. He said that they coached last year as if he was coaching year eleven at BYU and not year one at UVA. And I think that sentence that is the perfect sort of like, oh right, sort of thing, right? Because that's exactly what Ferber's talking about, right? Like they didn't come in here expecting to lose, but they also didn't have a a car that was ready to roll. Like they they had to build it again and they weren't uh, you know maybe and that's look the, the bottom line is like it's their job to get that thing right so maybe maybe 
you know, that lack of um, that lack of that lack of the lack of that expectation is certainly falls on their plate. But I, 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 I genuinely don't know if they if they if it was they were so focused on culture. I just genuinely think they expected the guys to be able to, to be better uh, and to do what they wanted them to do sooner than they were able to, to do it. And by the time they realized that, that this this isn't going to just work right, that we, we got to put we, we got to have a lot more to go in. It was, you know, it was too late. And I, I do think as the as the season wore on week to week, they were trying to make too many tweaks and they sort of over they overcorrected and put themselves back in the other ditch. Yeah, it was like let's they had to like fix the leak, but like the way they were fixing it was like different duct tape type solutions instead of actually fixing it. Yeah, that's a good yeah. That's but a they good knew that, they, that you couldn't fix it in the middle of the season, you know. So right. There was no that. time, man. That's right. But like, I mean, this is kind of a different parallel. But I mean, like, I've managed groups of people in my day job. Um, I've I've inherited teams that were ready to roll and were productive. Um, and you can kind of take what's already there and build on it from a culture standpoint, from a training standpoint, management standpoint, whatever. It's easy to do that. And then you can be like, okay, I know what I'm doing. I know how to get this group from A to B. Then you go to a new team, and this has happened to me. And there are systemic issues, cultural issues, um, leadership issues, uh, miscommunication issues, all kinds of stuff that you – haven't had to deal with before because you started in a good environment. Um, and then you, it takes you some time to realize, wait a minute, I have to actually build this thing from the ground up instead of just take it from point B to point C. Like they're not even at point B yet. They're at point A. Um, and if you've never gone from A to B before, then you have to do that for the first time. And I think that might've been where they were. It was the most bros Bronco Mendenhall it really like, was. comment any of the three of us have ever it made. It was, yeah, it was really congratulations. Good. I'm, yeah, I'm I mean, really he's proud of you. organizational management, but like, if you're the only organization you've ever been in is a good one, like, I'm not saying UVA is not a bad, is like a bad place to work or something, but like, if you don't understand that you're going into a, like, the coach before you got fired, right? So, like, if you take a job from somebody that just got fired in the real world, that person probably wasn't doing a very good job, and you're probably inheriting some kind of a mess. Um, unless it's like a Hugh Freeze situation. Um, and he, that person would be kind different of... Different kind of mess. Different kind of mess. Um, but, I mean, if you were, if you replace somebody that retired or, or, you know, like you got promoted to that position, it's kind of like you know what to expect. Like, he knew at BYU what the challenges were because he worked there. Um, right, right. And he was on that. He knew the players because he coached them. I mean, he was the defensive coordinator. So when you go to a totally new environment, you find all these new challenges that you didn't even know were there. And if you're like trying to inflict like what you know, what you know doesn't always apply to the problems. Like you could be t- teaching people how to do a certain thing that you know how to teach them or implementing some new idea. But if that new idea doesn't address the actual systemic problems, then it doesn't matter because you have to build from the ground. Jeez, I feel like I should be getting a credit hour right now. Ferb was taking us to church. Actually, I think I don't want to say by double tree by the airport. <laughs> Make sure you bring your coupon, um, <laughs> and you get your free T-shirt. Um, no, that look. I think that's a that's a that's a a really succinct sort of way to kind of frame um, some of the challenges I think the coaching staff has. Uh, I, I do think that as as you watch them in the spring and and like one the change of you know playing more football and and doing actually more hitting, I mean I play more football. I mean basically playing nothing but um, it immediately in the spring the guys were bigger. They were like I, you could see that there were some changes and 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 we talked about before like if you go to one of these social VAF socials or you or you just watch Bronco in an interview like. Like it's hard to come away from hearing Bronco talk and not think like, yeah, this guy knows what he's talking about. But sometimes you're right; you make mistakes in terms of how you implement things, and they did. They coached last year, so it was year eleven at BYU and not year one. And there's no doubt they're going to coach this as if it is year two. I mean, he's talked about this almost being, you know, a redo, like this is being year one again. And while those of us who cover the team or whose livelihood depends on the success of the team um, are, you know, um, 
not really excited about hearing that, and I'm sure fans aren't either. Like the bottom line is, if that's what you got to do, um, you got to do it. Now, I don't think um, that it's you know you you blew it all up and you're starting over, but I do think that um, you know it, there's a lot that sort of makes sense about hitting the reset button in some ways. Um, I genuinely think, and spoiler alert for our prediction part, I, I genuinely think they're going to be better than they were last year. They're still not going to be good, and I don't think they're going to go to the postseason by any stretch, but I do think they'll be better. Um, the thing I think that's going to be important as we wrap up here, like I just genuinely think they're going to have to cut down on their own mistakes. Go out and let a team beat you, but but don't beat yourself. And if they're able to do that, even if they don't go to, even if they don't have a, a gaudy season, you know, even if they don't um, go to the do a bowl game, like that will be a perfect sort of stepping stone. And I think, in, in all honesty, will bring a lot of people back under the tent because right now, like the the thing is scarce. And what's crazy is like the thing. There were a lot of people under the tent for for right there to start, but that Richmond game zapped everything out of that. But um, I feel like that's a a good place to, to put a pin in it. We've we did an hour on on 2016, which kind of blows my mind catharsis it's well you know it's it's one of those things like i'm really curious to hear what people think once they uh once they hear this thing but i uh, do appreciate you guys being on the show as always giving being very kind with your time uh and and being on the show also appreciate everybody out there who continues to support the podcast and, and listens to us uh drone on and on every week really appreciate all of you who who, who do so for david spence and justin ferber i'm brad franklin publisher of calvescorn.com thanks for coming out we'll see you soon